You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, my name is Dean. It's good to be gathered here together this morning. Uh, we're going through the book of Acts, just working through the entire book. We might be in it for about a year, not really sure how long. I take this to get through this really important story that bridges the gap between the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and really the rest of the New Testament. It also shows us what it looks like for us to be faithful, for Christians to live faithfully after Christ has departed, because that's what they were experiencing here in the first century. They were actually physically with Jesus, like literally saw him, saw him as the resurrected Lord, heard his teaching, saw him perform miracles, and now he was gone. Thankfully, he promised the Holy Spirit, as he ascended, as we'll see, uh, the Holy Spirit would descend on the believers to allow them to carry out the tasks that God had called them to. But how we're going to live faithfully is really based on what we believe to be true about Jesus Christ. That was the story of these first believers, these first Christians. How they were going to live in the absence of Jesus after he ascended to heaven was going to be directly linked to what they actually believed to be true about him. Uh, So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump in. Father, we are thankful for your word. What a privilege it is to have the scriptures available to us, that we can have the words of our creator, that the one who is the king and the creator of all things allows us to know what it is that you have to say, that you relate to us, you know us, you love us, you care for us. I also respond to who you are and what you've done for us, but I want to live lives that honor you. We ask that we'll be faithful in receiving the book of Acts and that we'll be faithful in teaching it. Lord, open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts to understand. We ask to be with all the churches in Tallahassee as they gather today. We pray that truly because we believe that your good news must go forward in this city. And I'm thankful for the many churches you're using to allow that to be accomplished. Please keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city and speak to me this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm also thankful for you for attending the 11.30 service. Uh, the 10 o'clock service is very busy uh, and here in this room and also in our children's ministry. Uh, so thank you for being the lunch, uh, the lunch crew, the late lunch crew. Uh, and the, I'm not going to pretend that you're not, Maybe you're the sleep-in crew. Whatever it is, thank you for being here. We'll say you're the lunch crew. Uh, so last week we were in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And in verse 8 we see really the call, the marching orders, the assignment uh, that the Lord gives to the Christians that he is going to leave behind. And by leave behind I mean him physically. Uh, The Spirit is here, the Spirit's coming. Uh, The Spirit's always been from the beginning. But in fact the filling of the Spirit is about to take place. We'll see next week, uh, mainly in chapter 2. But we see this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How amazing that here we are in Tallahassee, 2,000 years later, we are part of the story of the gospel going forward from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And that call continues now for us where we have received the gospel here in this city to keep taking the gospel to the ends of the earth in the same way that we have received it by God's grace. The gospel meaning the good news of what Jesus Christ has come to do for sinners through his death and his resurrection. So then we get to verse 9. And we're going to look this morning, the first part of my sermon today, at a really important doctrine, a really important piece of theology that's often neglected, I guess that's pastor's faults, when it comes to church teaching, and that is the doctrine of the ascension. It really comes from one primary verse in terms of Acts, but the theme is hinted to, pointed to, prophesied throughout the scripture, and the significance of the ascension reigns throughout the rest of the Bible and our faith. We see, after he had said this, verse 9, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. 
while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So here's a clear promise of the second coming, that the one who is ascending will one day come back to earth, and we're told later in the scriptures that he will make all things new, that he will rule and reign forever. But what's happening here in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, is not just Jesus taking off and saying, hey, have a nice life. It's not him going to hang out in heaven and just kind of watch some sort of clock until it's time for him to return. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, where we see this. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, remember Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, ends of the earth, every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. The rules of every other ruler in human history, eventually it passed away. The great emperors, the great kingdoms we study in history class, maybe you students are still studying today, eventually they all passed away. And his kingdom, though, is one that will not be destroyed. And here now is the crowning victory of the Messiah, the Son of God who is resurrected, and now he is ascended. Patrick Schreiner says this in his short, very helpful book called The Ascension of Jesus Christ. The arc of the moral universe is long, but the Messiah's ascension determines its finale. The victory of Christ, now that becomes the message. And throughout church history, this has been recognized as significant and important. We just said it in the Apostles' Creed, which believers are reciting all across the world today as they gather in church, that he ascended into heaven. And not just that he ascends, he is currently sitting at the right hand. He will come again to judge the living, and he'll come again to judge the dead. So the ascension actually resolves the narrative that we have heard in the stories of the Gospels that's been pointed through throughout the Old Testament. It confirms the authority of Jesus Christ. It is a bodily ascension. It's not spiritual. It's not some sort of ghost or some sort of metaphor. It is the bodily resurrected Christ now ascending to the throne. What it also does, it's very significant in our faith and in our theological understanding of who God is and what it means for us, is this continues for all eternity his threefold office as prophet, priest, and king. John Calvin popularized that study the understanding of prophet, priest, and king, and really awaken the church to the awareness of that reality throughout scripture. And what do we mean by that? Well, the term prophet, uh, prophets in the Old Testament really did two main things. Either they would like foretell what was to come, like Daniel 7 is an example of that, or they would foretell, and more times than not, they were foretelling, giving a word from the Lord. Well, now, since the scriptures have been completed and Christ has had his mission accomplished here on earth and has been crowned the one who is the true king, uh, now, Shriner says, that the word of God becomes Christ's scepter through which his prophetic office continues. That he is the ultimate word of God and has given us his word. And now, in his role forever as prophet, we have what he has told us available forever. Also, the role as priest 
that we no longer have to go through any sort of religious system in order to have any kind of connection with God, to pray to God, to have a relationship with God, that we do not have to go through a priest ultimately to have our sins forgiven, to have communion with God, to have fellowship with God. The role of the priest was so significant throughout the Old Testament that you would go to the priest and bring your sacrifice, and then you would have to wait, and you would leave or have to wait, and the priest would take the sacrifice and would, shed, would, would present it to offer the atonement, the covering for a little while of your sins. We see this in Hebrews chapter 7. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for him, that he now is our priest. The role of the priest is no longer necessary or relevant. That is not me being demeaning or disrespectful uh, to those who come from a different tradition than us. What I'm saying, you can call yourself a priest, whatever it might be, but the role of the priest as being the intercessor between us and God is no longer needed because Jesus serves in that role through his blood and makes his appeal daily to the Father for us. It's incredible when you think about it, that we have one united high priest, and his name is Jesus Christ. That also tells us there's not degrees of access to God. Because I work for a church doesn't mean that I have like a red phone, that I have like extra spiritual mojo, or, or maybe I'm closer to God, that every single believer in Jesus Christ has their own figurative red phone, and it comes through the great high priest, the intercessor, Jesus, who has ascended and is sitting at the right hand of God and gives us access to him always from the smallest level of faith in Christ in this room to the most mature. We all have the same access to God and the same red phone through Jesus. Isn't that great news? Again, and I'm not disparaging other traditions. I'm just saying that this is an important function of Jesus in the scriptures that he serves as the priest. Prophet, priest, and then king. We see this in Hebrews 1 verse 8, but to the Son, your throne, God is forever and ever that now Jesus Christ sits in the highest seat in all of the universe. It's given, he's been given all dominion. Like in his true actual reign and kind of coronation as king, it began at the ascension, where he would go rise to be this and have his rule. There's a song called Emmanuel, and here's the, one of the lyrics. Lift up your eyes and see the riches of the all-sufficient king, seated on his throne in glory. See his scepter that stretches the expanse of unmeasured space. Hear him who holds all things together declare, all things are mine without exception. For those who are Christians, we should fear not when things don't go exactly as we want them to go in our government and in our society and in our culture. Of course, we still care about those things. We want to be faithful witnesses and be salt and light here on earth. But we know ultimately that since Jesus is the one who is reigning, my ultimate dependence is not those who are reigning temporarily on earth. Shriner wrote this, before Christ was a prophet on the earth, now he builds his church as a prophet in heaven. Before he was a priest on the earth, and now he intercedes as our heavenly priest. Before he was worshipped as the king of the Jews, now he has been installed as the Lord of heaven and earth. And how amazing that the same one who's been installed, the Lord of heaven and earth, and is reigning right now, also knows you by name. And allows you to have a relationship with him. And tells you to cast your cares upon him. 
You see, the head and the heart must be connected together. Who Jesus is, prophet, priest, and king, and how that now plays out for us in our lives to bring us joy and make us glad that the creator of the universe also is for us. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because Jesus stood in our place condemned. He rules over heaven and earth, and that should be the foundation of now our mission, our witness to the earth. And also gives assurance that he will come again as the angels promised. And and more importantly, as Jesus promised. He said this in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. I shouldn't say more importantly because all scripture is equally inspired, but that, hope you know what I mean by that. So I want to assume. So clouds also symbolize the presence of God in the Old Testament. So when you would see the cloud, here's God coming to dwell with his people, but not too close. Again, he had to go through the system, the sacrifice, the priests, and that wasn't a bad thing. God initiated it. It's the one who installed it because we cannot have holy God and the presence of sinners. So there had to be an intermediary. And now here is Jesus on the clouds with the smoke going to be that for us for all. Then we get to verse 10, and it switches gears for a minute, but it's in the context of the ascension, which is in the context of verse 8 about being my witnesses. It says, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes, assuming angels, stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And I imagine a picture like this. They're just shocked. Like, this is taking place in front of them. Like, here's Jesus. He's resurrected. They're trying to figure out, what does this mean now? Okay, so is he back here for good? I know he gave us hints that he's going somewhere. Like, how do we, again, they're human beings here. Like, how do we make sense of all this? And then all of a sudden, he makes an announcement, tells them to go be missionaries, and then he ascends into heaven. I mean, imagine standing out at Tom Brown Park, and you see that happen. You're just like, I mean, imagine that scene. I think about in a movie when someone sees a spaceship or something along those lines. They just stand there and they just, their mouths drop open. I mean, imagine the scene. But the angels offer this in really kind of the context of a rebuke to the believers. Basically saying, he's not going to come back by you sitting here and staring at the sky. Because just three verses before is when he told them, you will be my witnesses. That all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm now giving it to you. You're going to be filled by the Spirit to go carry out these tasks. So he's telling them to get going. Not to be fans, but to be players in the game. There's a big difference between players and fans. The fans watch the game. They comment on the game. They critique the game. They watch, ultimately, the game but not players. They are actually in the game. They're not just talking about it. They're actually doing it. And that's what he's calling them to go do. This is out of the gate in Acts. He's saying this is what it actually means. It's, it's more to be a Christian than to be a witness, but it's definitely not less than that. So the angel's saying, can we get going, please? And I think there's different ways today that we can find ourselves staring in the wrong direction. Rather than fixing our eyes on Christ. So the context here is they're not fixing on Jesus, they're fixing on the event. They're kind of in shock and in awe, and he's telling them, no, no, no. Remember what Jesus has told you. 
and now go live this with your life? What are some things we can focus on and stare at where the angels, they were here today, might give us the kick in the pants? So one thing I think that's pretty obvious is we stare at ourselves kind of figuratively in the mirror 24 hours a day. What I want, what I think, what I feel. And that becomes the center of the universe. And how often are we so significantly self-absorbed that we're missing the mission God has called us to altogether? Where I'm the only thing that matters. And what I want trumps over anything else. So easy to get our vision distracted and to stare at ourselves rather than the mission of God given by Christ and filled by the Spirit. Second thing is we get sidetracked. Just looking at the wrong things. Sometimes those can be sinful things we look at, but other times maybe they're even good things that become uh, kind of in the wrong priority area. Maybe lesser things become ultimate things. We get more worked up about those things than we do about the actual mission of God. I don't know if you paid attention to the news the last couple of weeks uh, about the Buffalo Bills football player uh, who didn't just have an injury, he had a medical emergency on the middle of the field after a tackle. He went into cardiac arrest, had to have CPR. It was, it was quite the scene. Very scary. But something about that moment, after that happened and the player fell to the ground, was unconscious, was not breathing, there was an urgency. All of a sudden, nothing else was more important than to the fact that someone was there really for a moment laying dead on the field until he was resuscitated. Everything stopped and focused on that moment. The coaches were on the sidelines developing a new game plan. They weren't making adjustments. The announcers weren't breaking down the first quarter drives and how the defense looked when they came out. The fans weren't chanting defense, defense, or let's go Bills, or they're actually on the road, so they wouldn't have been doing that, but no one was doing that. Because when you realize that someone's life is at stake, all the focus begins on what really ultimately matters. And I hope that when we realize that spiritual lives are at stake, that other things will definitely matter to us, but nothing more than this. And people have always been, had a hard time with that. Especially the religious, the Pharisees, the scribes. They oftentimes couldn't figure Jesus out. Everything that they envisioned about the Messiah oftentimes didn't really resonate with them. We see this in Luke 15, that all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Like that's who wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Those who were spiritually lost, spiritually dead. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, which is often what they do. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus said, guys, so he told him this parable, guys, what man among you, and this is an agrarian society, so this illustration would have resonated with them, who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. Now financially, that doesn't make very much sense. That you would leave 99 sheep unattended, risking wolves, risking escaping from the area, to go after one, unless that one really matters to you. And from an agrarian society, they would have known the relationship and the care that a shepherd has for his sheep. 
And Jesus here is giving these marching orders that he's been hinting to and pointing to all the time, that God is going to bring his sheep ultimately to the shepherd, past, present, and future. And by his grace and by his sovereignty, he has called us to be his co-laborers, his mouthpieces to bring that about. The third thing is worldly ideologies. How easy to fix our eyes and to get caught staring at whatever the latest trendy ideology is of the day. That's often either extra biblical or anti-Bible. Jump on the latest train if it's virtue signaling, getting in line with whatever the issue of the day is. It can get us really distracted and get the church divided over most important matters concerning who Jesus is. I just want to think it's important that we don't get caught looking always at what's next and what's trendy rather than what's eternal and that God has given us, which is his word, his church, his spirit, to take his gospel. And the fourth one is just first world life. Yeah, first world, just comfortable. Just in, for a lot of people, it's being a Christian is just kind of easy. The difference would be if maybe you had suffering or some kind of tragedy come your way, but, but for the most part, like, we're, not, we're not pushed very often. I think it's going to change and is changing in our culture, but just it's, it's hard to be thinking about the things of God when you've got so many other things to think about. And that's just a challenge. There's a reason why the Bible warns us about money and riches. It doesn't say that money and riches are bad. It just says be careful. Because here's what they can do to you. They can have you fixated on it and looking in the wrong direction. So we get to verse 12. After the angels gave them that little rebuke, they got the message because it says, then they returned. It's and they got moving. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, which is a significant space, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. And it gives a little bit of a roster of who was there. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer. Along with the women, which their mention is significant. Women were very marginalized and oppressed in this time, area of history. And here is God immediately including them in the things that he is doing. They were the first witnesses of the, of the fact the tomb was empty, and now here they are in the room, fully valued, fully of worth, fully being used by God for his mission. But then he mentions something that's caught my eye, and other people have chimed in on this too, going, wait a second, this is there and this matters. Is including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, why is Mary in there? Is it because she's famous? And is in the Christmas story, and we sing songs with her name in it, and she makes an appearance in a nativity scene. And how about his brothers? Why is that there? Well, in, earlier in the Gospels, we're told that Jesus' own brothers did not believe him. And you've got to cut a little bit of slack. Like, who would actually believe their brother is the Messiah? I mean, think about those of you that have brothers. You're more wrestling, trying to one-up each other. When I was like a, maybe 12, 13 years old, my brother put a needle in my deodorant. Think, like, you think that from Home Alone that Marv, the wet bandit, screamed loud? My scream went all the way down. And he got in zero trouble. My parents laughed. Like, seriously? Like, what, what, what kind of environment are we creating here? So that's a, you know, I mean, like, brothers. Imagine being Jesus' brother. 
You know, I know, Mom, he always makes his bed, right? I mean, can you imagine that, being his brother? But here they are in the room, praying. Praying through the name of the priest, the great high priest. That they might have shared a bunk bed with growing up. Here they are. They saw him die. They saw him rise again. And Mary is here simply saying that I haven't changed my mind. What the angel told me when I first found out as a young little girl, young girl, that I was pregnant and who that baby would be has happened right in front of our eyes. I'm here and I'm in because of who I know he is. So when you first read this story of, of, of Jesus going up in a cloud and if you're skeptical towards the Bible, I, I, you know, I just understand that you might go, that sounds like a fairy tale. I think someone read that to me. Like, is that a storybook like, that you get from like, a bookstore and read it to your kid at night? And kind of this like, magic, he just goes up in the clouds, everybody stares. And, and I can see where it could be a little bit of a hurdle maybe for you to believe these things. So it's not a coincidence here that Luke here, the writer, who was a doctor, who was very accomplished, who was very intelligent, who was very scholarly, who was very detailed in his writings, includes these witnesses to help you see exactly what's happening here. The peace people witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So him ascending to heaven is really not that crazy when he was dead for three days and came back to life. Now they're meeting in a room, they're praying together saying, this is worth our lives, we're responding to this good news. And at almost every turning point, we see in verse 14, in the story of God's redemption, of his saving act to the world, his redemption of his people, we see people pray. It's like it happens every time before God's going to do something serious in Acts. The people were meeting together to pray. The chancellor of the university I went to in Virginia used to always tell us this at chapel almost every week. It was 20-something years ago, and I still remember it, that nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. That prayer is the divine means that God uses to carry out his divine will. There's mystery to it. We believe he's sovereign over all things. Does he know we pray before we pray it? Absolutely. Does he hold all things together? And have every detail of our lives, the beginning and the end, in his hands? Absolutely. Is he sovereign over all of it? Absolutely. Has he foreknew all things? Absolutely. But still, the mystery is he uses prayer to carry out this divine will to redeem a people to himself. So you may think sometimes, hey, I'm just not doing enough. I'm just not, you know, I'm not, you know, giving enough time to this, a time to that. Do not underestimate the ministry of prayer and how significant it is. That when you are praying, that you are carrying out what believers have been carrying out on their mission for generations. Believing that nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. When you see great revivals that have taken place uh, throughout history of the world, history of America, prayer was always a central part of it. Proclaiming a God in your prayer of who he is and his greatness and his majesty. Also believing him to do great things and to change hearts and to change lives. Let us see people who pray. And also it reminds us when we pray of the access we have to God. Once again, that pr the priest of Christ, the, the, the intercessor for us. Tim Keller is a pastor and author. I think he's the one who first popularized this saying. And I, it just means a lot to me as a Christian. Where he says, the only person 
who would ever wake a king up in the middle of the night for a glass of water is a child. Go back to ancient times and go wake up a king in the middle of the night and ask him for a glass of water. It'd be off with his head, right? But who can do it? Who can wake up a king in the middle of the night and ask for a glass of water? A child. And Keller says, you had that same exact access to God. The difference is that our God never slumbers or sleeps. You don't have to wake him up. That Jesus is interceding right now as we speak. And we have access to the throne because of his blood that was shed for us. And his resurrection, affirming who he was, conquering the last enemy death, and then ascending to heaven to fulfill his role as prophet, priest, and king. So what's happening here is that Jesus is going to ascend to heaven, promise that one day he will return, that all is going according to plan in Acts, the prophecies being fulfilled, and by the promised Holy Spirit, the disciples are to be now witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and to the other, other parts of the world. God is moving, he is working, and the story of the church is just getting started because of God's power, his plan, his sovereignty, his love for his own name and glory, and his love for his people to reconcile them to himself, and we get to be counted in that. Amazing stuff. Let's pray together.